So uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses from Romans chapter 6, starting in chapter 1, just to kind of get us started here. So Romans 6, verse 1, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with Him? For he, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised as He was." For our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share His new life. We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. He died once to defeat sin, and now He lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, uh, Romans chapter 1 through chapter 5, Paul has been uh, meticulously building the doctrine that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And, uh, you know, he's, he's laid the foundation in chapter one, uh, and from chapters one through three, through about the middle of chapter three, that we are sinful people who need to be saved, that there is no hope for humanity aside from Christ. And then he goes on from three uh, to five to lay the, 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 the rock, the rock solid foundation of our faith that, that it is by, by faith, trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross, uh, and believing uh, that, that God, that God uh, sent His Son, that His Son lived a perfect life, that He died an atoning death, that on that cross that Christ uh, bore the sins of every man and woman that would believe on Him from, 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 uh, etern- you know, from the past, from the beginning of creation, all the way up until now, and that on that cross that, that God forgave our sins, us who believe in Jesus, that He imputed the righteousness of Christ upon us, and that by faith we are united with Him. That's Romans 1 through 5. And, uh, and so, having laid that foundation, He, he immediately addresses, uh, an objection that comes up with this, ju- with this doctrine of justification by, by faith alone. And, you know, from a worldly standpoint, uh, without a spiritual understanding, you know, the immediate response is, and you've heard this, well, if there's, if there's grace, if there's grace to forgive my sin, then, then why don't I just keep on sinning? Why don't I just do what pleases me, pleases my flesh, and uh, as a believer, and, and I know that I'll be forgiven, right? That's the objection in, in Romans 6, 1, and then he immediately answers. He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And so this is, this is Paul's briefest answer, uh, to, to that question. And really what it launches us into is the theme of chapter six in Romans. And that is the theme of sanctification. Because we understand that when we believe as Christians, we're not only, we, we are immediately 
justified, right? But God doesn't stop there. The Bible says that God gives us a new heart, that He changes our desires, that the inside of us, uh, what was a heart of stone, what was a heart that was at enmity with God, that, that, that at some level hated God and was rebellious against God, is taken out of us, and God puts in a new heart that loves Him and desires Him, and loves His Word, and, and is, is able and empowered to do His commandments. And so that's, that's, that's the shift that's being made here. And uh, you know, I want to give you here, just um, start off with three summary steps from that passage that we just read about sanctification. So the first one is this. When Christ died, believers in some crucial sense died with Him, and dead people don't sin. Uh, not to say that we are saved unto perfection, because we understand that since we've been born again, we have sinned, right? But we are saved unto sanctification. Uh, you know, he says in verse 2, uh, since we have died to sin, uh, not how will we, we will we'll never sin again, but he says, how can we continue to live in it? The, the believer doesn't continue in sin. We, we have conviction from the Holy Spirit and we have correction from our Father. He's our Father now. And, uh, and, and, and we, we no longer walk in sin. So, uh, a couple of verses. Verse 5, since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised as He was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And then, of course, skipping down to verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share His new life. So that's the first one. Second thing, when Christ rose, believers in some crucial sense were made alive in Him. Uh, read a couple of verses here. Look at uh, the middle of verse 4. He says, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised as He was. Third thing, uh, therefore believers are commanded to become in practice what we are in Christ. And what are we in Christ? We are dead to sin and alive to live for God, alive to live for His glory. Uh, 6.11, so you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. And then skipping down to verse 13, we had not read this yet, but we will. Uh, Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Now, I want you to see something here is that Paul doesn't assume that because we are united in Christ's death and united in Christ's resurrection because we have believed, uh, he doesn't assume that there is an automatic or a mechanical response of obedience there's something that we have to do. There's something that we have to partner with God in. Just, just, just like we partnered with God when we believed, right? The Bible says that, that yes, you made a choice, but yes, you were blind and you were dead, and God shined the light of the gospel into your heart and opened your eyes, but yes, we still make a choice to believe. 
And just like that, you know, the, the Bible says that God gives us a new heart. He changes our heart. He gives us the power and the ability to obey His commandments. But at the same time, He says, uh, you died, so consider yourself dead to sin. You consider yourself dead to sin. You were made alive in Christ, so you consider yourself alive to live for the glory of God. Basically what he's saying, you are, so now become what you are. Walk in it. You know, that's why, that's why the Bible says that we're to, to walk out our salvation, work it out with fear and with trembling, right? Because God empowers, but we, we, we walk in it. We, we become what we are. So, uh, I want to continue in, uh, Romans, uh, 6. I'm going to read the New King James Version of uh, verses 12 through 14 because it lends itself to some imagery uh, that are really, it helps me to remember the passage. I think it'll help you to remember the passage. So I'm going to read it uh, here, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now in this passage, uh, a conflict, a war, a battle within every believer is described. And there are eight aspects uh, of this warfare in these verses and I'm just going to kind of go through them quickly. I'm just going to put them up on the board uh, or on the on the overhead, and uh, then I'll come back and kind of give some some high level commentary. Uh, the first thing is is that there is a reign that is being contested. If you look at verse 12, he says, "Therefore, do not let sin reign." There's a reign, there's a kingdom, there's a dominion. That word reign is the verb form of the word king. So, so in this, in this battle of, of the believer is a, is a reign, a kingdom, a, a dominion. Uh, number two, there is a challenger to this throne. He's a, a revolutionary. He's a rebel. He's against God. He's, he hates God and he's an enemy against God and, and he is trying to take over this kingdom. And that rebel is called sin. He says, uh, therefore, do not let sin reign. And we are called to resist sin, right? As believers, very clear in the first two verses of this chapter. Uh, should we just keep on sinning because of grace? Absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? So we're called to resist this rebel and revolutionary called sin. Third thing. Our body is the town and castle under attack by the, ta by the challenger to the throne. Again, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Number four. There are servants in this castle, our body. Typically, they are faithful to us. They're made to be faithful to us. Ultimately, they're made to be faithful to God. But they can become uh, inside agents, if you will, secret agents on the inside who can be turned by sin to work against us and ultimately against God. Uh, 
It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Now that word lust there is actually, it's translated kind of aggressively. Uh, it's a neutral word that can mean uh, desires. And, and, and the, the point of it being a neutral word is, is that it could either be a good thing or a bad thing, right? And we understand that. Our desires can either be a good thing. Uh, you know, we can desire to eat, and that's a good thing. It keeps us alive. Uh, but, but that can also turn into an obsession, into a gluttony, right? And so our desires can be good things or bad things. They're really neutral unless uh, evil, unless sin captures them and turns them against us as secret agents to work on the inside of us uh, and inside man, if you will, uh, to, to uh, take down the castle, right? Number five, increment, incremental surrender is possible. It's not an all, all, or, all or nothing thing, right? Uh, giving in to sin. You know, you, you, you see people as, as, they, as they fall into it, right? It never happens all at once. Um, you know, you do something a little bit and, it, and you know it's wrong and, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, but I want to do it again. And so you go do it again. You do a little bit more, right? And you see the incremental surrender of, of your heart as we give in to those desires and we continue to go back to the will, if you will, and it doesn't matter what it is, that's always the way it happens. Satan never, never puts up the big, says, uh, you know, here's the white flag, sign it, right? You know, it's always incremental surrender, a little bit at a time. Uh, if sin takes some desire captive and sends it behind the castle walls with a deceptive promise of immunity and reward for surrender, the obedience to that desire would be the surrender of part of the castle, part of our body, part of our life, part of our the dominion of who we are. Number six, there are weapons in the castle that may be captured and turned around and used by the enemy for his unrighteous purposes. And you know what those weapons are? There are our hands, our feet, there are eyes. They're a mouse. They're, they're, they're every part of our body that is meant for the glory of God that so oftentimes is, is turned for, 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 uh, works of evil, right? And, uh, verse 13, the first, the first half, uh, it says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now that word instrument, the Greek word, I don't have uh, the Greek word, but, but um, four times it's used in the New Testament. Uh, right here, it's translated as instruments, but in, every, in the three other places where it's used in the New Testament, it's translated as weapons. And that's what, that's what our members are. They are our, our, our body is a force that can be used for good, right, for God's purposes to make an eternal difference. But our body is also used and can be used for great destruction, right? You know, the, uh, James talks about how, how there's no member more dangerous than the tongue, right? He says, he says that, that nothing can do more destruction than the tongue. And, and with this small member, we can, we can do great destruction. Um, and so that's what, that's what we are. And that really lends itself to this, this battle imagery that we're uh, talking about here. Number seven, God is the true king over the realm. The second half of 
uh, verse 13, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. See, we are to stay loyal to God with all of our weapons, right? All of our body is to be loyal to God. Present yourself to God as one alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. So we're to be, we're to be loyal to God with all of our weapons, the true king, and with all of our uh, desires, right? All the things on the inside of us, all those servants, right? The, the servants that are supposed to uh, serve our natural needs and ultimately serve God, those desires, we're to be faithful to God with those and not to sin. And finally, there is a uh, constitutional authority of the kingdom, which is grace, not law. He says in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now let me give you three high-level application points to that. I don't think I have bullets for these. I don't think. Um, But the first thing that we need to understand and take away from this is that God is our King. He's the King. He's the one that our hearts are to be loyal to, lest we become treasonous, deserving of death. Uh, you know, we, we have to keep trusting Him and depending on Him and submitting to Him. And we must resist all contenders to the throne of our lives because God is our King and our lives belong to God, right? Uh, second thing is, is that, and this is, this is, this is kind of an interesting mindset, but, you know, a lot of times we just think of sin as the actions that we do against God, right? That's, that's, that's the way I think of it a lot. The actions that I do that are contrary to God's Word. But we see here that sin is a power, not just an act. Uh, it's not just the acts that we do, but the power uh, that, takes us, that takes us captive through our desires and brings about those actions that are rebellious against God. You know, uh, an action can't reign, but a power can, Right? And Paul's shown us here that, that sin desires to reign over our life. It desires to be our master once again. Uh, I think it's in Galatians, you know, he talks about how will you go back to that from which you were delivered? How can you do that? You know, and, and sin was once our master and we were free and he seeks to be our master once again. He's not, it's not just the actions that we do, but it is the power that seeks to capture our desires and, and bring us into rebellion against God. And uh, then the last thing is, is, is about the desires themselves. You know, because a lot of times we think that that word desire uh, carries a lot of negative connotation. Uh, you know, but desires are not evil in and of themselves, right? In fact, God created desires in us to, to uh, not only sustain our life, but to sustain our relationship with Him. Um, and so... So if they are uh, faithful, loyal desires reflecting the truth and the value of God, then we do good to please them, right? We do good uh, not to let ourselves starve or die of thirst, right? Because because we, we live for the glory of God. And that allows us to go on living and having a relationship with Him. However, if sin captures our desire... Right? And turns it into something, uh, rebellious against God. 
then not only does fulfilling that desire uh, break God's law, but it brings us into the conspiracy. It brings us into the uh, rebellion against God and, and, and into a treasonous state against Him. So there's a balance there uh, where, we, where we, we keep our desires faithful to God. It's how we fight our sin uh, by, by not only saying no and no and no, but we kill the desire on the inside of us. We crucify the flesh with the Word of God. Uh, a couple of examples of this where I talked about how uh, the desire for food can become gluttony. Uh, the desire for drink can become alcoholism. The, des- the desire for sexual satisfaction, which is a good servant of procreation and of marriage satisfaction, becomes, uh, you know, the desire for things like, like pornography, fornication, uh, and when the desire for sleep becomes sloth and laziness. You see, sin takes our desires and makes liars out of them. Sin takes our desires and says, if you do it this way, then I'll give you satisfaction. But in reality, uh, when we when we seek that satisfaction, we get a cheap stimulation. And instead of making us feel more fulfilled and more happy, it leaves us guilty and shameful and sad and dirty feeling. And it, and it, and it brings us uh, farther than we want to go, and it keeps us longer than we want to stay. And it always uh, brings, you know, what, what does Paul say? The wages of sin is death. It's death. It brings death in our lives. It's a liar. So how do we fight sin? How do we fight? Paul's telling us, you are a Christian. You're dead to sin. You're alive to live for God. How do we fight that fight? Um, a couple of things. And see, the problem that a lot of people run into is, is that uh, you're going to see saying no is the last step. And a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to say no. When temptations comes, I'm, I'm a believer, I love God, thank you, Jesus, I'm just going to say no. But there's things that we need to establish. There's foundations in our lives that we need to establish strategies uh, to, to win that fight before the actual confrontation. And so, um, you know, the first thing that we have to remember here is that Paul does not teach us how to fight sin until we have first learned in, in Romans 1 through 5 what Christ did, how Christ defeated sin on the cross, how Christ accomplished what we could never accomplish and what the law could never accomplish. He establishes that firm bedrock of Christ and his finished work for us to stand on. So in that moment, we can say no. Uh, but those things, you know, the gospel, uh, you know, it's easy, it's easy as a believer, especially after we've been saved for a while, to not think about the gospel that much. You know, uh, the, to have a mentality, well, I've been saved for a long time, you know, it's time for me to get to other things and understand other things about God, but we never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is a constant uh, meditation that should be in the heart of the believer, and let me show you why. Um, okay. Strategies, six strategies. I want to run through them uh, here, and I think, yeah, we're doing great. Six strategies for fighting sin. Strategy number one, and the battle with strategy with number one, strategy number one in the battle with sin is that Christ died for our sin. It's so simple. 
It's so simple. But that's something that we, that we should continually med- meditate on. Christ died for my sin. Um, turn back to Romans 3, verse 25. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed His blood, sacrificing His life for us. I turn over to chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right, with, right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we will cert, He will certainly save us from God's judgment. See, the first key to defeating sin is really, 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 really believing that Christ paid 100% for your sin. It's paid for. It's gone. It's gone. It's as if, it's as if we had never sinned. Christ, when, 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 when He died on the cross, even looking forward to the moment that you believe, paid for your sins on the cross, and that is the bedrock that we stand on to fight sin, is that my sin is gone. I'm dead to sin. I'm not a sinner anymore. It's gone. Okay, so that's strategy number one. Strategy number two is that when Christ died and rose again, we died and rose again. We talked about this a little bit already. Uh, let's, let's read it again. Romans 6.6 6. Our old, our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And then down to verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share His new life. I'm going to spout off a couple from Galatians. You may just jot them down if you're taking notes. Uh, Galatians 2.20 my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. In Galatians 6.14 as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. You see, we were united in His execution. It was, it was just as if, just as if you had paid for the, for your sins on the cross, right? Except us on the cross wouldn't have been enough, right? Because we weren't uh, perfect. Right? We were sinful. We were deserving. That's why hell's eternal, right? Because when you blaspheme and you, and you degrade the glory of an eternal God, the punishment to, to recompense that must be eternal, right? You can't ever, you can't, you can't get it in, in some finite punishment. But Christ, having been perfect from eternal past till he came into the world, was a sufficient sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. And we're united in that. Forgiven. You paid for it. It's over. It's gone. And we're also united in His reward of resurrection. 
right? Not only do we live it now with new life in the Spirit, but we understand that, that we have been saved unto eternal life, right? We too will die, but we'll also rise, amen? Uh, so we're united with Him. And these first two strategies of defeating sin in our lives happen historically. Outside of us, before we were ever born, they're done. It's over. Uh, so that brings us to strategy number three. God united us with, with Christ by faith. We talked about this already. God grafted us into Christ. We are united with Him by faith alone. Our part was faith in Christ. And what was faith in Christ? Where once we looked at Jesus, you know, and the Bible says that He is foolishness uh, to the world and He is a stumbling block to the Jew. Right? We looked at Christ and we saw Him as 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 confusing and not desirable and not something that we... Can anybody agree with that before you were saved? I don't want that. But at some point, the Bible says that God shines the light into the dark heart of the unbeliever. I was blind, but now I can see. And we saw Jesus as beautiful. We saw the gospel as desirable. We saw it as the power of God unto salvation. And we said, I want that. It's faith. And in that moment, you were united with Christ. You were united with Him and, and made one with Him, grafted into Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. This good news, the gospel, tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Your, your Bible may say from faith to faith. By faith alone, we're united with Christ. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Strategy number four, God justified us by this faith because we are united with Christ, right? We talked about that already. When we believe, we were justified. Our sin was gone. It was just as if we had never sinned. And in that moment, it's the beautiful, uh, I think Martin Luther called it the beautiful double exchange in which not only was my sin taken off of me and put onto Jesus, but His righteousness was taken from Him and put onto me. And I stand before God. Well, let's read it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You know, New King James says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what we stand before God as. Our sin gone, His righteousness imputed, applied, credited to our account. I got chills. That's powerful. Now these first four strategies precede the command of Romans uh, 6, verse 11. And these first four things, this bedrock of Christ and what He accomplished and, and our faith and our union with Him are what makes Christianity different from every self-help program and from every other religion in the world. There's no religion in the world that can do anything with your guilt but Christianity. And every other religion in the world 
They, they, have, they have their rites and they have their, 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 their rituals. But you know, I, I challenge you, if, if, if the Holy Spirit ever, ever gets you into a moment where you're really feeling pressed to witness to a, an unbeliever who's faithful in another religion, you know, uh, something powerful you can ask them is, what do, what do you do with your guilt? Where's your sin go? How is that paid for? You know, where, where, where's your guilt, your sin dealt with? And it makes it different than every other, every other religion. Uh, now, strategy number five is it's a mental and volitional act. And it proceeds, this is the last step that proceeds our direct engagement with uh, temptation. And, and see, so we understand all these things about the gospel, about our justification, about our union with Christ, about faith. And, uh, and we have those things in our heart and we, we, we meditate on them. I encourage you to meditate on these things every day. Um, so we get these things in our heart and then there's this one last thing that we should do as a believer. Understanding all that, there's one last thing that we need to do before we encounter sin. Before we encounter temptation, excuse me. Romans 6.11 So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Now this is something that we do, right? Remember, it's not automatic. It's not mechanical. It's something that we do with our mind and with our will and with our heart. We reckon something to be so. Consider it. That's what, that's what reckon means, to consider. We reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. You see, we died to sin and rose to life in Christ, and we must count this to be true about ourselves. It's something that the believer is responsible to establish in our hearts, right? God built the castle, and we locked the door with the bolt of reckoning ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now, this is an extension of the faith from strategy number four. And reckoning ourselves to have died and risen with Christ is believing it and embracing it with all of its promises and all that it entails as precious and beautiful beyond any other earthly thing. We embrace it. We, we begin to reckon uh, being dead to sin and alive to God more desirable than anything else in our life. And that brings us to strategy number six. Strategy number six is when we have direct engagement with temptation. Uh, when sin comes and, 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 and captures one of our desires, right? Tickles one of our desires and begins to, to tempt us to move ourselves into rebellion against God. Begins to pull us away, uh, you know, pull our members uh, away to, to, to be used as weapons of unrighteousness rather than righteousness. In that moment, we prefer another ruler. We say, no sin, I will not allow you to be ruler over my life. I prefer another ruler, and that ruler is God. Right? This is a real engagement of our will in which we really say, no. No. I'm not going to do it. No. I'm not going to do it. You know? And sometimes you got to do that. you got to say it, right? And... uh but it's, 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 it's not automatic. 
I'm under the blood of Jesus. You know, I just, the temptation, you know, that doesn't happen. You gotta say no. You gotta say no. You know, and you may have said no ten times. And then the eleventh time, you know what, if you say yes, you're in rebellion against God. You gotta say no. It's an action. It's our part. But it's much more than that. It's much more than, than us just saying no, right? We've talked about it. It's, it's, there's a deeper level. There's, there's a foundation to that. It is based on what God did in Christ and what happened to us in Christ and who God is for us in Christ and who we know ourselves to be in Christ. And we all, we embraced all that as, as, as beautiful and as the most, the most treasured thing in our life. And because of that, we say no, right? We've established, we've got it in our heart. Christ died for my sins. I'm justified. I'm united with Him by faith. I believe that my sin is gone and that His righteousness is imputed to me. I reckon myself dead to sin. I'm a Christian. I do not sin. I'm alive to God. I'm alive to live for God through Christ Jesus. I love that. I desire it. It's my heart. Therefore, I say no. I say no. Victory. In the moment. Because what is choosing? Choosing is preferring. To choose is to prefer one thing over another. If you love God, you know, the Bible says, Jesus said, that those who love me are those who obey my commandments. Right? If we love God, we choose God. If we love sin, Choose sin. That's why we got to stand on those things. Jesus, I love you so much for all that you've done for me. I reckon myself dead to sin, alive to God. No. There's a foundation that we have to stand on. And that's why so many people, when we're not in these things, when we don't have these things in our heart, and we say, I'm just going to say no when the situation comes to me, we fall, right? We don't, we don't say no. We don't, we don't choose God because these things have to be in our heart, right? Sanctific- justification is a one-time instant thing. Sanctification is a continual process in our heart. These things have to keep churning and turning and, 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 and shaking down and crushed down and we shake it out again and we get it back in our heart and we just continually put these things in our heart. We wake up and every day, uh, put it in your phone. God, today I reckon myself dead to sin and alive to, to live for you, God. I establish these things in my heart so that in those moments, I have victory. I fight. I say no. If God is to get the glory in our choosing against sin, it must be because we regard God and what He is and promises as preferable. If you prefer God, you choose God. If you prefer sin, you're going to choose sin. We've got to get these things in our heart. So in closing, I want to reiterate that we who have believed by faith in Christ and have been justified with Christ were dead to sin and alive to live for the glory of God. So my encouragement for you tonight is, hopefully you've got Romans 6.11 memorized, consider yourself dead to sin. 
Consider yourself alive to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Consider yourself to be what you are. Right? You guys can stand. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank You for Your Word, God. We thank You, Lord, that it is powerful, God. And, and Lord, we pray, Father, that, that we would not be so ignorant or arrogant, Lord God, to think that, that we can battle sin without the empowerment, Lord God, of the truths of the Gospel and of Christ and, and of His empowering in our lives, God. Father God, I pray that... that um, that like a fighter or an athlete, Lord God, that, that we would train ourselves, God. That we would train ourselves, Lord, and, 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 and set our hearts, Lord God, and, and exercise our hearts, Lord God, that we would, uh, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to live for you, God. Lord, we thank you, Father, that, that you empower us to sanctification, Lord God. We, we pray, Father God, that you would, that you would continue to work in us that work which you began in us, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that, that, that Lord God, that you have promised the perseverance that every one of us needs, Lord, uh, to get to glory after we have believed, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. We, we rejoice in that, God. And, and Lord, I pray that we would walk in it, Lord, as, as powerful, empowered, relying, uh, humble, uh, absolutely dependent on your on the power of your Holy Spirit, everyday believers, Lord God, who walk in victory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.